You have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lithub.com. Paul Holden Graber's conversation with Imani Perry. Hello, could I please speak with Imani Perry? This is she. Imani, it's a pleasure to speak to you. This is Paul Holdengraber calling you. The pleasure is mine. I'm so happy to be speaking with you. I'm so happy to be speaking with you. What am I interrupting at this moment? I was just in my office reading, so you're not really interrupting much of anything. Well, I'm, I'm interrupting you reading. What are you reading? Um, I am reading... And and so what 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 uh, what brings you to read those two books? Well, my next book is on the South, and I'm trying to sort of read the various ways that people have recounted moving through the South from from wildly different vantage points. So. I thought, maybe I'm wrong, I thought that your next book was going to be on the color blue. That is the book after next. But it's on my mind constantly as well. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, Imani, how so? How, how, did you, how did you come upon wanting to write a, um, a book about the color blue? Right. And then there's the the cultural tradition out of which I come, which in so many ways engages with blues. Um, you know, the genre of music, blues music, the um, all the metaphors about taking to the sky, um, uh, both the midnight sky, right, blue black, and also um, sky blue, um, and the waters, of course, that um, brought ancestors here. Um, and there's also something about, you know, my, my own wanderlust that pulls me to places. Um, I, I hear, you know, I hear you nearly laughing a little bit as if, as if you're, you're, you're amused by your own wanderlust. I am. <laughs> I, I can, I, I can hear it, Imani. Tell, 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 tell me, tell me, tell me what, what, what makes you sort of um, uh, amused by it. Well, I have a, a sense of humor, I guess, about everything. I mean, I am constantly um, pulled into a dozen different directions. I, um, my imagination is moving all the time, and I, I guess I'm amused by it because it, it occurs to me that I, that I often am more distractible than many. And, and you know, uh, I, I want to stay on the subject of blue just a little bit longer and then, and then, and, and then go to uh, perhaps uh, the, your desire to give great 
lessons to 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 your boys and we'll we'll get we'll get back to that in a moment but you know so the color blue is tremendously important to me as well um both because of the music and also because of one particular writer who wrote so beautifully uh, about the color blue and that's Rainer Maria Rilke who in 1907 when uh, just a year after Paul Cézanne died, he went to the Palais d'Automne in Paris to see a retrospective of all of Cézanne's work then. Of course, it wasn't all of his work. He had just died. But he was this poet who had worked for Rodin and who always felt that he only had his pen when Rodin had so much more and Cézanne had so much more to speak speak of his reality. But then he had this line, which I want to read to you and have you react. I know you haven't yet written about the color blue, but I think this might be a source of inspiration. He says, I could imagine someone writing a monograph of the color blue from the dense waxy blue of the Pompeian wall paintings to Chardin and further to Cézanne. What a biography. Well, you know, the moment that you told me about the book, I immediately, the same day, bought it and read it that day. There is your passion. There, yes. And, um, and it's, it's so extraordinary. I mean, you know, what he um, reflects on living sort of a life um, moved by beauty and creativity and also all his meditations on discipline um, really captivated me. But yes, and there are, you know, there, I, I love Maggie Nelson's Bluet. Yes. There are, are several books on blue. There's a gorgeous book on the color indigo as well. Um, Will, William Gass also on being blue. Yes, that's right. Um, and I have that one as well. And, and you know, and, and it makes sense. It's something that translates across walks of life about it. So it's both this, this color that often has this intensely personal, very specific cultural meaning, but it also travels. And that's, that's part of what, um, why I think it's so interesting. I mean, I want to go to these blue cities, for example, you know, um, uh, in Morocco and, and, uh, Greece and uh, India, but then, you know, Hank blue, which is the color that many porches in the deep south are painted is, you know, perhaps the most familiar blue, the sky blue that's supposed to keep, you know, menacing ghosts away. So, um, so do you see this yeah. as a, as a cultural history of the color blue? You know, it doesn't have a precise shape yet. Um, it will be um, meditative and poetic. Um, uh, and it'll also, you know, it will be rooted in, in um, my tradition and then try, you know, and take, and I want to use that as a launching pad to think about the color globally. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'd love to, you know, at some point, I would love to, the, the same way when I spoke with Maza Mengesti, I said that I'd love to bring her together with Ocean Wong um, and Ishion Hutchinson to speak about um, about Homer. I would, I would love to bring you together with Maggie Nelson to speak about the color blue. That would be fantastic. 
I think we have we have a plan. We have a plan. Now, now um, b beyond blue, if there is something uh, to be said beyond blue or almost blue uh, to think about Chet Baker, there is a passage in your so moving book, Breathe, that I, I, I was struck by. I mean, so many. Uh, but, but this one, right smack in the middle of this short, dense and very important book, you write, I want to hold you safe. I also want you to fly, you say to your sons. Claim your earth as you see fit and ride above it. Yes, I am asking you to do something difficult, to make beauty and love in a genocidal time with a harrowing past behind you. But when was it easier? I have some tips on how to do it. Never let shame eat you up. And the passages that continue are extraordinary. But I, 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 I was really struck by that. Thank you. I mean, and, and I, you know, this, I, as I was writing, something gets pared down when you try to think of what's most important for your children and the world's children, you know, my own children, world's children to carry on. And there's a lot of, um, there are many ways in which one can be distracted from the most profound aspects of life and actually not pursue, you know, your, your inner callings, your deepest passions, your, the, the most important things like love and community and a sense of stewardship for both the earth and the people around you, all of those things, which are the very core um, of what I think it means to be human. And so, you know, that that's what, what is underneath it. And in particular, that beginning of the passage is a, a, a deep reference to me to Tony Morrison's impact on my life. Um, you know, I think... Many people have noted the relationship between the book and Baldwin's letter to his nephew, but I think Tony Morrison's Song of Solomon is sort of in between those those texts for for me, um, because in many ways it's a it's an it's an aunt's letter to a nephew. Yes, and 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 you beautifully just a a, a few pages later than the page I read from, you say, "This is what I take." the point of the, of the idea in Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon. Want to fly? You got to give up the shit that weighs you down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Toni Morrison, in, in a, I was going to ask you a question that I'm sure you've been asked many times, so forgive me, but letters written to one's children, there is a tradition of that. Um, mm -hmm. um, it, it's... You know, it's, I was mentioning Rilke before. Of course, the letters to a young poet that everyone knows that are not quite, not quite written to one's own child, but there is something nurturing in that exchange. Um, but there's so many. Savater wrote an extraordinary uh, letter to his son. Um, and then um, uh, another example, which is very important to me, is not the letter really she wrote to her children, but the letter she wrote about what it means to educate children, which is Natalia Ginsburg's extraordinary little book called The Little Virtues. Do you know it? I don't, but you, we, we 
I, I went and thought that out as well. You were, you were, I was, well, 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 you know, um, uh, uh, she, she has such a beautiful beginning in an essay called The Little Virtues or The Small Virtues. She says, as far as the education of children is concerned, I think they should be taught not the little virtues, but the great ones, not thrift, but generosity and an indifference to money, not caution, but courage and a contempt for danger, not shrewdness, but a frankness and a love of truth, not tact, not tact, but love for one's neighbor and self-denial, denial, not a desire for success, but a desire to be and to know. And when I read, when I reread this essay after reading yours, I thought, my goodness, is there ever a consonance? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I mean, and it, it, it doesn't surprise me, though, because I think that there's something, I mean, you know, it's very, and I'm so glad you made that, that connection because it's a very particular um, moment in history, a very particular identity, but the things I share, I think, are, are, are universal virtues that we should all be aspiring to. And they're about being human. And so that just, that gave me chills. Really profound. Thank you. Oh, of course, of course. Now, back to, to um, Toni Morrison. I imagine you knew her. Uh, only very um, much, just simply in passing. I didn't, I didn't know her well at all. I had several occasions to sit next to her at events or dinners. Um, and that's really the, the scope of it. But she had huge influence on me, of course. And, and particularly the Song of Solomon? I mean, you know, it, it, there are different books at different times, and every time I experience um, a major grief in my life, I actually read through the body of her work. Um, but um, A Mercy is one of the, the pieces that really sort of captures all of my interests um, in that it sort of imagines what this place will be before it is when all of these different people have come to this land and they're trying to figure out what they will be here under uh, extremely um, difficult conditions. Uh, and I find it, and, and it's also, you know, the as, as consistent throughout her work, the sort of intergenerational challenges, traumas, desires to care for and to pass knowledge on to those who are younger. Um, yeah. So, so, so those two. To pass on, and and um, you know, in in the passage I I, I read just following it, there's a, another beautiful moment, Imani, where you say men who don't mistreat are always at greater risk of being mistreated. The spirit yeah. of wounded boys is a haint. <laughs> and then just a little lower, you say you do not do any of this alone, even the most private recesses, you carry a history with you, like the phoenix in you, the ancestors come again, rise, and the curling red and gray ashes underneath lynching trees. My, oh my. The debt is still owed. We keep making generations to collect our inheritance. In reading that sentence, I nearly felt that I had a sense of why you had to write this book. Thank you. 
I mean, you know, I, um, I told, um, I had a conversation, a second conversation not long ago in public with, um, with, uh, Broom, um, who you so beautifully, um, interviewed and engaged with. And one of the things I said about, about her work is that in it, you know, she creates, the book is, is a reconstitution of the home that was lost. That's right. And it's something that one can inherit and hold in literature that has, um, a resilience, um, that I think for me resonates much more deeply than things or, or emphasis. Or artifacts. Um, and so it is, you know, I think of this is why, you know, the last section of the book is called Fortune. I, I think this tradition is the fortune that we have. I, I see so many, um, so many connections between what, what you're, what you're writing in this book and, uh, also Sarah. Uh, Sarah Broom, the yellow house, thinking about her yellow house and your, your, your future investigation into the color blue. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's something so, so, so powerful and so beautiful. And in the passage I, I read just now, there's also, I, I feel an invocation to your children to aspire to, to the virtues that come from what is often seen as a, a feeble quality, which is that of kindness. Yes. Kindness, loving kindness, decency. Um, the things that are, that are really contrary to, um, heartbreakingly so, contrary to many of the ideals of manhood that, um, that young boys and men are socialized into, and yet I want them to be greater than the scriptures. Of, of um, gender roles, I want them to be greater than the conventional aspirations, the conventional categorizations of what it means to be a successful person. Um, I'll also say, you know, I, I um, and this is just to, to go back for a moment. Um, part of the reason I first picked up the Yellow House is because I, my grandmother's house was a Yellow House. Her bedroom was blue. Um, oh. And 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 um, there is. Something I think, um, in particular about color and in the deep south that is, you know, it's a, it's a way of expressing kind of, um, grace and sensitivity and tenderness in an environment that is often, um, quite harsh. You know, we have the sweetness, of course, with both the disposition and of, you know, lots of sweets to eat all the time. But, um, but I do think of the color as something that kind of, It has a gentleness and a gentility that, at least in terms of, there's something about the essence of it that, that I think kind of resonates with, with many of those, the lessons that I'm trying to, um, teach my children, but also the stories that I think we want to tell from, from that place and that tradition and that I want them to be able to rely upon. I remember once when George Saunders said that what he regretted the most in his life were failures of kindness. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, I think of the word kind um, back to its origin, which is really to be of kin. Yes. And, yes. and, what, a, what, a, and what a strange idea that kindness in men or in anybody should be a sign of weakness. 
I mean, when you think about what that means for how we treat our fellow human beings, right? I mean, to to try and, and um, destroy the parts of ourselves that are are um, most humane and most loving, right? I mean, I you know, one of the <laughs> one of the expressions I, um, I I picked up growing up is you know, even the devil is good to his friends, meaning that you know. It is important to have this, like, the kindness is a virtue beyond your most intimate circles. That's you're supposed to be kind in the world. Um, so the idea that as a weakness is, um, it's not just, I think, you know, morally shameful, but I think it's also connected to a lot of the, the damage that human beings have done to each other on the earth. And, you know, in, in a way, I'm, I'm wondering if this takes me to something I read you said um, and which which strikes me as as really intriguing, and I'd I'd love you to to unpack what this might mean. Um, which is, you say somewhere, point of fact, it's always slow work. Yeah. Imani, what do you mean? context thinking about, you know, my larger um, commitments to the ideal of, of, a, of a free world, right? Meaning free from, from suffering and domination and violence, free for creative expression and love and, um, you know, having a beautiful, robust lives not constrained by the fact of where you were born or what body you were born into or um, you know for me that is the core aspiration I always think that you know what it means to, to believe in a just society has to begin with the least of these and so the slow work is actually the dispositions that you take on as you encounter the world each day you know it, it, it does consist of I know it often sounds Pollyannish but the ability to look another person in the eye, to smile, to encounter people with generosity, that's the slow work that I think is actually, you know, that's what the building blocks consist of. Um, and so we can, you know, make these grand gestures and statements and um, protestations and professions, but really um, it's the day-to-day that I think has, has the impact. You know, it's the accumulation of the choices we make day in and day out. There's a wonderful line in an essay by Walter Benjamin called The Storyteller, where, yeah. he, where he quotes Paul Valéry, and if I'm probably, I'm saying it from memory, so I may not be getting it exactly right, but it's something to the effect that man no longer works at what cannot be abbreviated. I love these moments, by the way. Um, I, I relish them, as you probably have noticed. Yeah. I love the moment when, when you say something, or in my case, probably quote something, and there's just a pause. And, and, that, and that pause is so important because it's all 
about slow work and like slow food, like slow thinking, like 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 taking one's time, like that wonderful line in Kundera where he says there's a secret bond between slowness and memory, between speed and forgetting, and taking one's time, which seems to be nearly a revolutionary act now. I mean, that's, you know, that is the, the um, and the speed allows so much to go by, so much destruction to pass by us in a flash. You know, so when you see, I mean, the earth sort of screams, right? right? And it's, it's a product of so much production and exploitation of the earth and over and over and over again. And it, it, it goes by, everything happens so fast, there's very little contemplation of what's happening until we get to this moment of disaster. And of course, I say that as someone who, um, you know, lives in the kind of society. There, of course, there were always people who were drawing attention, often indigenous people, to what what disaster was was um, coming. But yes, um, absolutely. And that's also that's also a good big part of why I love um, Kundera because the scent at the level of the sentence, right? There is um, a way of moving through space and emotion that never feels rushed, even if the novel moves across years. Um, and so I absolutely, you know, I think there's something about art that reminds us of the importance of slowing down, of contemplation, um, of deep meditation, of trying to um, make sense, even in the face of what feels like, you know, a moment of intense urgency. I think that's and and mix and mixing speeds because there is there is of course a speed of instantaneous information and we can't we can't be away from it we're all we're all on a, a in in some way wedded to our yeah we're wedded to our devices in in different forms and different fashions and yeah. and at the same time um so so that is there's something inebriating about the possibility of finding something out at the speed really of lightning and then there is the the other the other measure of um you know what calvino speaks about when he says festina lenta lente take haste slowly mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah. do it do, you know and and i'm wondering you know you are in in touch uh, in a, on a daily basis with with younger younger minds um how do you how do you at princeton um make the the younger students um how do you impart a, 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 a this rhythm or a measure of time or a desire in some way to tell them you know hold your thought Wait, mm-hmm. wait a minute. How do you do it, Imani? Tell us. Well, it's... <laughs> Tell us, please. It's I, 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 Yeah. Who said it would be, who said it would be easy? Easy, you said it would be easy. I mean, you know, so I'll, I'll say this way. Many of the courses that I teach are in some form or another history courses. I mean, even if, you know, political history or even when I'm teaching literature-related courses, there is always a kind of historical component. And 
I actually find that, you know, when you, so you, you move between these big moments of, trans, of transformation, right, over years, between that and then the little moment of decision-making, of negotiation, right? So, for example, if I'm teaching the March on Washington, right, in 1963, you know, there's all the this, all this back and forth between different constituents of the civil rights movement. Is this the right thing to do? You know, what will happen? Are we being distracted by this spectacle? Like, all of those, so that they can understand that even, that there's all this, every, um, you know, there's all this sort of minutia of negotiations and get multiple people involved in all of it who have one feeling in the moment and who might have much, you know, vastly different feelings in retrospect. And so, and then I, I do a lot of um, kind of interpersonal um, conversation with students. And this is outside of the classroom and trying to help them think about their lives outside of the harried schedule they keep. Um, and the schedules they impose upon themselves for what they want to accomplish by what age in life, you know. And I say, well, how do you want your daily life to be? And oftentimes they begin with the job. And I think, no, I mean, how do you want your days to unfold 10 years from now? What time do you want to get up? How many hours do you want to spend working? What kind of climate would you like to live in? Do you need to be close to your friends? Do you need to be close? Like those kinds of questions. And I do think those things, um, sometimes help them slow down. Um, sometimes I'm unsuccessful. Of course. <laughs> or, 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 or differently put, you're unsuccessful at that moment. At that moment, that's right. You know, you just you just don't know. I I, I remember, um, you know, in the in the days when when I I was teaching at at various universities, I had one I had one. One student who wrote to me a, a, a postcard ten years after after taking a class with me, and he said, "Dear Professor Holdengraber, I just finished the reading for your class." Oh. <laughs> so you know, one one just doesn't know. Yes, yeah. I ha- well, you know, I had a similar story um, as a student for a class that I didn't attend very much. But I, years later, wrote, read a biography that was just so beautiful, um, and I didn't realize it was written by the professor, whose class I hadn't attended much. Um, and I wrote him afterwards, and I said, you know, I'm sorry I didn't attend class, but the readings were phenomenal, and they were, and I had read all the readings. I said, but I just read this biography of the singer Sylvester you wrote, uh, and it's breathtaking and stunning, and, you know, and that... And he told me at that moment, I was a young academic, he said, promise me that when you get to be a post-tenure professor that you will write what you want, what your heart's desire is. And I have um, stayed true to the promise that I gave him. How beautiful. What a beautiful reaction of his. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful... Yeah, what a, what, yeah, yeah. You know, Imani, um, uh, o- over the years of, of placing this call to people I admire or love or both of it, um, I've, I've always, as you can tell, spoken about what they've written, but also very much maybe in the spirit of the kinds of conversations you have with your students, ask them what, 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 um, what pulls at them and what passions they have and, what what interests they have and and I'm 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 quite convinced and know that that music uh, 
occupies a a huge amount of 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 um your your soul as it were and yes, and um and and you've written about hip hop and i've had the pleasure um to to speak to a, a few hip hop artists most uh, most uh, prominently for me speaking with jay z but i'm mm-hmm. i'm 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 curious you know at this moment what are you what are you listening to and perhaps even as i did with jan morris um and with other people you might you might even play something for us sure should i begin with that yeah do that okay i'm going to play the beginning of the commodore's zoom wonderful Yes, it was. I, 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 I saw, I saw, I saw. I was going to ask you, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and it looks, you know, I mean, you can go, um, you know, like in his poem, Daybreak in Alabama, there's a particular sweet, pale blue when you look up in the sky that um, doesn't ever leave you. And I, I think of, you know, Lionel Richie singing that song, um, looking up at the sky, right? And that, that, you know, that is a, as a space, you know, it's, a, it's a, it's a visual feel that is, it's open for imagining. Um, you can do, see a lot of the same thing and, and, and a different, at a slightly different register in Sunrise music, you know, and he, he lived, um, just a few miles away from my family home. I think there's something about place but also the vastness of the imagination, that duality that really speaks to me. 
You know, um, well, when you mentioned place, of course, I was again, again thinking of our, uh, our common friend, uh, Sarah Broom and how, impo- how important that anchoring in a certain locale is. I, 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 I particularly taken by, by that comment you make that this is your favorite song because it, it feels like home. Mm-hmm. Um, what a, what a, yeah. what, so do you, do you put it on to get back there? I put it on to get back there. I put it on when I um, am starting writing. You know, so I, I I begin all of my projects with a lot of you know research and 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 outlining and moving things about, and then when I really am ready to write, this is one of the songs that um, that gets me in that. Um, do you write with mu- do you write with music on? No, but I listen to music right before I write. Because I remember I remember one phone call I had with with uh, Marlon James and he said, you know, I can't write. No. If there isn't mu- the music. Yeah, I, I just and I thought that was extraordinary. I mean because I think it's fairly rare, but he I think both he and and Chris Abani just need the music all around them, as it were. What, uh, what, 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 what else? Um, you know, what, what you, what you made me listen to yesterday, which I had never heard. And so forgive my ignorance. I always say I have holes in my culture so it can breathe. But in this particular, (laughs) in this particular case, I really didn't know this song and how amazing it's sort of a spoken word song is Jill Scott Heron's on coming from a broken home. Yeah. How amazing, what an amazing, amazing song and, and how, how much I can understand why it might speak to you. Is there is there another uh, another song that 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 you go back to, um, or if it's not a song, a a particular poem that you that you live with? Oh, gosh, um, well, there's so many songs. Um, I mean, they include um, there's another Com- Commodore's song, "Just to Be Close to You." Um, there's an LTD song, Love Ballad. There's, um, you know, a number of Earth, Wind, and Fire songs um, that are just sort of, you know, recurring in my soundscape, um, as it were. Um, my, I actually go most frequently back to a poem written by my mother, um, 
in the very early 70s called uh, Boxes. Um, can I recite a part of it for you? I, I, I would love nothing more. <laughs> um, okay, she wrote, Boxes are for the dead, or so it's said, for old clothes too, not in use. Boxes refrain, contain, destroy the humane, create the insane. Boxes. Wow. Has it been published? No. You must. I uh, yes. <laughs> you must. Uh, the, I have to get her permission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. She's you, a quite a, a beautiful poet. Imani, what I'd like, what I, the way I'd love to to end this call is if I could ask you to read something from Breeze. Um, to to my mind, what I'd love you to read, but you might have another choice. Is the last, really the last two pages um, of Breeze, the afterword, which are breathtaking, really. Oh, thank you. Okay, I, you know, I actually, I just handed, this is a little bit embarrassing, but I just handed my last copy to a friend who came by the office. So you don't have it, so you don't have it, so we'll, go ahead. Pull it up, though. It'll just take me a moment. Okay. It's a it's a it's a moment where, I mean, you could read you you could read the afterword, but I would say maybe beginning with find your tribe. Find your tribe, okay. This is your your in, in a sense as much of the book is your 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 your. I'm ready. Go ahead. Find your tribe, the ones who speak your language a bastard's tongue, no less beautiful than the king's English and instead much more so. The people with whom you can share the interior illumination, that is the sacramental bond. You may love everyone in an agape, but hold yourself precious for those few. Making that law the technology to fill up the gaping hole, a gear that winds in the urgency of hope, it is from there that revolutionary possibility emerges. Avoid love affairs, romantic or platonic, that are bound to acquire that certain emptiness born of tidy deferrals of longing, the sort of thing that conventions require. Instead, be wildly courageous in all of your living. Not reckless, simply courageous. The old folks used to say, get your education. They can't take that away from you. But what they really can't take away is what learning in its many forms opens in your mind and heart. And that is much more than formal education. It is a way of living. Issa, you came by this honestly. An extrovert, you feed off connection with others. At around age six, you got in my face, tired of my need to retreat into quiet, and yelled, introverted is for when you are asleep. While I watched the beauty of the bonds you create with others, laughing and running around together, I watched the beauty of the quiet imagination of your brother, who often shares his care for others in the form of drawings, photographs, and songs. Your love is an exceeding sun. May all of our lives remain in the thick of it, without a hard and fast gospel, but with faith. And Freeman Diallo, 
and Issa Garner. Imani, how beautiful. Oh, thank you. How utterly beautiful. Well, talking with you is an exceeding beauty, so thank you so much. Well, you, you, know, you know what will happen next. Um, I will be in touch with Maggie Nelson, and I will bring the two of you together to, to, for an evening of blue. I can't wait either. Thank you for taking my call and be well. And I can't wait to, to read what you're going to be writing. Thank you. Take good care. Bye-bye.